Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Witcher, and today I have with me Lisa. Lisa and I are going to talk about how to flip the conversation from really a place of conflict, a place of hearing a lot of no's at the IEP table, and help both parents and teachers change their perspective and get to a whole lot more yeses at the IEP table. So Lisa, thank you for being here today. You're welcome, Catherine. So tell us, Lisa, how did you first end up at an IEP table? Yes, um, I am a mother of to a wonderful 17-year-old son that's on the autism spectrum. So my experience um, being a member of an IEP team um, began when he was actually second, probably two years old. And um, it was a brand new world for me of experiencing the acronyms and um, all the language. And I felt so overwhelmed as we proceeded through um, early interventions and also um, elementary because I didn't understand um, what my role was as a parent at that IEP table. I didn't understand um, what exactly um, my my expectation should even be of what where my son should be able to achieve for academically. So um, because of me being overwhelmed and frustrated and just didn't have a, a path to go by, um, I stumbled upon your um, program, Catherine, of learning how to be a master IEP coach for I could get at that table and feel like I could make more informed decisions and can influence my son's IEP. Yep. So Lisa and I have known each other for a few years now, and she is actually one of our progress coaches inside of our master IEP coach mentorship. So if you're wondering what is that, head on over to masteriepcoach.com and you'll be able to find out all the details of how you can become a master IEP coach and, you know, really change your entire IEP experience. And Lisa and I are going to touch a bit on that because Lisa wrote this post uh, on Facebook and I saw it and I said, oh, we need to, we need to talk about this. <laughs> we need to share this with more people because um, the title of her post was, let's see, I'm going to read, don't give people permission to say no. That's a bold statement right there, Lisa. It is, but you know what? It's a powerful statement if we um, turn the pivot the um, experience and the atmosphere in those IEP meetings to be more of a um, problem solving and collaborative versus, you know, a closed minded no for requests. Yeah, it, it's a it's a big deal. And I'm going to kick it off with something that I say a lot of times. Um, just so we can clear this up right away. There is this question that I get all the time. We hear it as master IP coaches all the time. And it comes from both parents and teachers. And it's, can I ask for, and then fill in the blank, whatever that is. Can I ask for? And I say, well, of course you can ask for something. You're an adult. Go yep. ask for something. You're, you're a member of the IEP team. Now, will you get a yes? That's a whole nother conversation. How do you ask for it? How do you change a perception at the table? That's what we're going to talk about today. But if you are wondering, can I really do this? Um, you can do whatever you want at the IEP table. And we hope that you're going to choose some great positive interactions to help move a child's education forward. So with that, I'm actually going to um, 
mention the first one that you put in your post, Lisa, because it is a huge um, roadblock that a lot of families are experiencing. And quite honestly, a lot of teachers experience this too. Teachers want more yeses at the IEP table. Parents, I want you to hear that. Teachers want more yeses at the IEP table too. They feel stuck also. So when you ask something like, can my child participate? Especially as we start to go back from this place where we're at in education right now, you know, we've got hybrid and, and we've got um, new rules if somebody's on campus and we've got virtual and we've got all these things. So participation is a big deal. So, you know, can, there's a, that's a very common question. Can my child participate? Lisa, how should we flip that? And I would flip that to say, what supports can my child have to participate um, for the participation can be possible? Yeah. So you guys got that. What supports can be possible? This goes the same for, and I'm going to give a little bit of the teacher view. If you guys are new here to the podcast, you might, I know I'm a special needs sibling, but I'm also a former special education teacher. So in our master IP coach mentorship, we talk about how everybody can improve their role and how everybody can maximize their impact. So can my child participate is something that we absolutely hear parents say all the time. What we don't talk about is that a lot of times teachers are saying that to other teachers. Can my child participate in your class? Can we get some inclusion going here? So instead of that, repeat it again, Lisa, what should, what should even a teacher be saying? What supports can make this student be able to participate in your class or participation is possible in your class? Yep. I love it because then you can't, like there's no way to say no to that, no? no. No, I didn't, I didn't ask you yes or no. I asked you a what. <laughs> that, that allows organically problem-solving skills right there for the team to say, hmm, I don't know, but let's think through it instead of that closed-ended answer of no. Yes, I love that. And so this next one that you put up there is specific to um, a diagnosis in a curriculum that maybe you you know somebody who's listening here doesn't have this exact problem, but I want you to fill in the blank as a listener with whatever specific curriculum or diagnosis you might be really trying to hone in on and, and address. So the, the, what we're not supposed to ask is, can my child have access to a specialized dyslexia reading program? What should we be asking instead? Yes, and this is a common thing I hear too, Catherine. And so what my recommendation would be is that you would say, what can be done to have a specialized dyslexia reading program available for my child? So it's not an automatic, no, you can't have it. It's how do we get it? How do we get something going on here? And you know we're going to get follow-up questions of, does my district have to provide that? I'm just going to clear that up real quick and say, um, your district is responsible in making sure that your child's making progress. Um, how they get there definitely varies state by state when we're talking about something like a specific uh, program for dyslexia or a specific program for um, you know, math or reading or sensory or anything, specific program for anything. It's very state specific, um, but it's possible. Absolutely. So, all right, let's go to this next one. Do not ask. Can my child receive a one-on-one -on -one para in their classroom? And I know a lot of parents out there that can relate to ask, wanting to ask this question. 
but you'll get make much more progress on this request if you flip it to say what will it what will it take to have my child receive a one-on-one -on -one paraprofessional and, and it's not necessarily all day a lot of times we think you know a child needs a one-on-one -on -one all day there's sometimes for medical reasons or safety reasons that that is true however most of the time even if a child needs a one-on-one -on -one for all of their academic instruction they may not need a one-on-one -on, -one on the playground, or they may need a one-on-one -on -one for all unstructured activities outside of the classroom, but not a one-on-one -on -one in the classroom. So Lisa, you have some personal experience. You mentioned that you're a mom of a child who's on the spectrum, and he is 17 now. And so um, can you just share with us a bit about some of the different types of supports that he's had? Maybe, uh, you know, parents get really curious about like, what are classroom ratios, or how do we Flip placement. I know that you have kind of a, a a story in there of how you decided that a different location would be good for your son. So can you just talk about supports in the classroom and how you've come up with some solutions? Yep. So um, my my son um, very easily could be considered to be in a contained classroom, but with my advocation at the table, he actually goes into the general ed classrooms and participates alongside his peers in activities where he's gonna be successful and that he can actually participate and gain additional, um, I call them soft skills, from social skills, being able to plan and organize things. And so he feels like he's part of that community. Um, he also receives supports that he is in after school activities that's sponsored by the school. So he actually has additional supports with him to be able to be part of the bowling team, the cheerleading team. Um, he's also in special um, um, clubs at school for, that's after school, such as the Best Buddies program. Um, but it's, it's, it's wrapping those supports and services that he needs himself not what all the students need, but individualized just for him, um, for he has so many more opportunities out there within his school community. Absolutely. So you really individualized his day to find that support and where it's needed. And it wasn't a blanket statement of, you know, go give my child a one on one because that's what they need to be successful. I'm assuming that you had to use some data and some other talking points in there to, to work towards this. Yes, I, of course. Um, all meaningful decisions by the IEP team needs data for you feel very confident that you are heading in the right direction. And that's the, the powerful advantage of pivoting our questions of can I versus what needs to be done or what information do we need um, to get this request um, approved? Because by asking the what's, you're collecting data right there of understanding what data needs to be collected um, to allow that IEP team to make more informed decisions versus asking questions with the can, and it's a closed-ended question of yes or no. And, and as you know, Catherine, because you preach this all the time, data is very powerful to be able to have the team collaborate together and make meaningful decisions to get that IEP truly customized for that student's needs and prepare them for life after high school.
Right. Like these questions that we're, we're sharing with you on how to flip the conversation, you got to be ready for the conversation because what happened is you didn't ask a question and get a yes or a no. You're asking a question to start a conversation. Your job is to be prepared for that conversation. Exactly. Exactly. You, 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 you have to know what your end goal is, but you can't just ask it directly that this is what I want. Instead, you have to ask those leading questions to get the team to be willing to be um, open-minded and to brainstorm ideas. Because even though you might think that this is the right end result for your child to have maybe a one-on-one -on -one para, th there could be other options that could be and should be explored before going to that most restrictive um, experience for that child with a one-on-one -on -one para, just as an example. Yep. And that's a whole nother conversation. I know. No, no, no. I want my listeners to hear that really close that having a one-on-one -on -one para typically restricts a child in a lot of different ways versus giving freedoms. And there's this mindset of, well, if my child had a para, then they could be in the least restrictive environment. However, then they become restricted by somebody being right next to them, there's a whole lot of training and um, setting expectations that goes into that whole process. And yeah, I'm going to have to take some notes here in the way of like, we're going to have to have a conversation here on the podcast about what it really looks like in this full continuum of placements and how paras and one-on-one -on -one support can, um, there's really pros and cons to all of those decisions. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, I would love to dive into that more in a future conversation. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a huge piece. That's a huge yeah. piece. So, because as you know, that is part of future readiness too. If you have too much one-on-one, -on -one, you're not preparing them um, for our life after high school either. Absolutely. So I cannot wait to share with you guys a bit about what Lisa's doing in the community for future readiness. Um, I didn't tell her that she's going to have to brag on herself a bit about some of the programs that she has, but we're going to cover this last question and then keep That's listening good. because you're going to be amazed at some of the things that Lisa does specifically over the summer. And you're going to like want to move to Lisa's town um, because it's amazing. So this last question here hits a hot button for me because you phrased this with two words that I absolutely do not want to hear at the IEP table or in an IEP discussion. And those are the words I feel. I feel is not, there's a whole podcast way back in the beginning when this started that says feelings versus facts. And how are you making your decisions? And so this is, I feel my child needs testing accommodations. That's a no. <laughs> so what should we say instead? We will say in the future that what does the data tell us on accommodations that could assist my child during uptaking? It's so important that we have an open-ended conversation about modifications and accommodations and what that looks like, because a lot of people here, let's just, this is why I love the podcast. We can call out some things that we might not typically talk about in special education, but some people um, on the IEP team may feel that accommodations and modifications are unfair. They give a child an unfair advantage, or it's not going to be an appropriate test if we do these accommodations or modifications for this. But if we do it right, that's not true, right, Lisa? Absolutely, Catherine. So I never want you 
to fall in the trap of saying, can my child have this? Or I feel my child needs this. And they're like, no. And it wouldn't be fair if they did. Because mm -hmm. that's not true at all. You have It's not about giving everybody equal things for the desired outcome. We have to really adapt these, right? Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so Lisa, go ahead. You've given us a lot of things to think about, about how to rephrase. You know, there are parents and teachers that are out there right now that have their list of things ready for this next IEP meeting. I'm gonna be ready. And now they have homework. They have to go back and look at all their bullet points and think about how am I going to ask this, whether it's verbally or in writing, so we can open up this conversation. Now, once they start building this awesome IEP and they're getting through their current struggles, it's really time to start speaking about the future. And you used a term, future readiness. So share with me, what do you love to do, Lisa? <laughs> what my passion is as a master IEP coach is really getting our children ready for life after high school. And this, we need to bridge that gap. The school can do just so much. And we need to... Yeah, we're doing a disservice to our children um, if they are only getting classroom experience or worksheet experience to get them prepared for life after high school. And so what I am doing, besides giving that master IEP coach support to families within an IEP meeting, I am bridging that gap by providing a community program each summer where special needs children from ages 14 to 21 comes to this camp and it's a future readiness camp as we call it where we are simulating what life looks like after high school so we actually have an apartment where they're actually going in and they are learning how to cook and how to do the household maintenance and budgeting and um even the soft skills of how to be a good roommate and how to even access the community. So we go out in the community, we um, do job um, jobs at different stores, different um, community outreach programs for they develop job readiness skills, but also explore what their interests and strengths are. Um, and we, um, do a lot of work of getting people that are that have that destination of getting them prepared for college life too. There's so many skills that our children needs to learn that cannot be done realistically all at school. And so that is the reason I'm so passionate of making sure that the IEP is individualized in such a way that they are able to maximize that the time that they are in school to have academic goals blended with life um, functional skills and then also provide this um, camp to be able to put it in real world um, experiences for them. And I love that. So here's the thing, couple of things for people to hear. Um, Lisa does not expect the school to teach her child everything that he needs to know, know to be future ready. There has to be a reality check that we only have so many hours of the day. 
we can individualize as best as possible, or as the law would call it, appropriate. We can have an appropriate education that meets a child's unique needs, that prepares them for further education, employment, independent living, but there's still limitations within the school. And so we can um, always be working towards stretching those boundaries inside the school, but sometimes we just can't wait. Lisa's son is 17. She's got things to do and, and she's got, you know, skills that needs to be, that need to be learned. And so Lisa has this camp that she talked about. And when she told me what she was doing with like this full immersion in, in an apartment and exploring the community, I was like, get out. That is amazing. And now how do we put thousands of more of those around? So Lisa's on a big mission for that. Of course, if you're interested in Lisa's program, um, for future readiness, or if you want to reach out to her for master IEP coach connections, um, because you think you want her to look at your IEP or work directly with your school or with your family, you can always reach out directly at myiepcoach.com. There's a form to fill out, or I'll also have Lisa's contact information right here in the show notes, um, wherever you're watching at or listening at. And if you're interested in becoming a master IP coach, because you've got big dreams like Lisa, maybe you're a special needs mom or a teacher. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I want to help within the system. And I've got big dreams outside of the system. Also, the master IP coach program is a great place for you to connect with us to help really support you and finding what that niche is and how you can make this bigger impact in special education. So you can just head over to masteriepcoach.com. Now, as we wrap up here, Lisa, I've got one final question for you. What is your favorite part of the IEP? Because we're IEP geeks. It's just who we are. We're a little obsessed with the paperwork and the things that happen because we know what a big difference it can make for a child. So what is your favorite part of the IEP? My favorite part um, goes with my theme of having our children future ready and to ensure that everyone on his IEP team is driving to that same destination of what that child wants to have their life look like after school, it, the foundation needs to start with that parent input statement and the IEP. That parent input statement will provide the team to understand what's the hopes and dreams and desires of what that student's life will look like after high school from independent living to continued love of learning for a lifetime and um, job readiness. And then that then allows, with that foundation of inserting a parent input statement, will allow the team to design the appropriate goals that that child needs, the appropriate transition planning, um, which is both of those pieces are huge to start getting that child on the right path to getting ready for life after high school. Yeah, and anybody who just like, flipped out. They were like, what do you mean I can like set my entire future for my child inside of this parent input statement? I'm actually going to give you one more place where you can find Lisa and I, and that is inside of the special education inner circle. So you're listening right now to the special education inner circle podcast. And if you like this conversation, you want to continue to talk to Lisa and I about future readiness, how to flip the conversation, how to really dig into a parent input statement, because no matter what state you're in, there's a place for parents to put their words. You're going to want to hop over to specialedinnercircle.com and check out how you can join Lisa and I and continue the conversation. Lisa, it was so great to have you here. Thank you for bringing these tough topics into the conversation for the entire IEP team. 
Absolutely, because at the end of the day, there's no distance too far that we need to go to prepare our children for the future. Absolutely. On that note, I hope we get to continue our conversation with you at the Special Ed Inner Circle, and I'll talk to you guys soon.